This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. I've said hello way too many times. I do it every time I start this podcast, so I'm sorry about that. But hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Do Not Listen to This Podcast. I am your host, Sam LaCrosse. I hope you are all doing well. It has been a very long week, in my opinion. Uh, but, you know, the one thing that I want to kind of preface with is the... Um, so I'm actually recording this on the Sunday um, that I, I normally release my episodes and my blog posts on Sundays, but... I have procrastinated a lot this week. I've had a lot to do. I've had a lot, uh, lot during the week and everything like that. I know you probably guys probably don't give a single shit about my personal life, but the Super Bowl is tonight, which is cool because I think you know I'm really excited about the game tonight. I'm a huge professional football fan, and I think this is a great game for people who are fans of professional football because you have on one side you have the goat Tom Brady, six Super Bowls, going for a seventh one tonight, and on the other side you have the who, in my opinion, is the only person to become a person to out upseat the current goat in Tom Brady. I don't think anyone has else else has the potential to other than Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, who are coming off a Super Bowl win last year. Brady is coming off a Super Bowl win a couple years prior. Like I said, he has six already. Mahomes is on a trajectory unlike any person that I've ever seen. I'm only 23 years old, so obviously I could be misguided in my short-sightedness by this, but I am overall like, very excited for the game because on one hand, if Brady wins, and I personally don't care who wins, I actually haven't really made up my mind who I want, who I think is going to win tonight because I think the game is very close. And um, Vegas, who I think is the most objective simply because the most money is involved, is the most objective as well. They only have the Chiefs, I believe, favored by a field goal, which is basically a home field advantage. Or in a normal game, obviously this game is in Tampa Bay, ironically, because the Super Bowl isn't supposed to be a neutral location, but this is the first time a Super Bowl team that is playing in the Super Bowl is playing at their home stadium, Raymond James Stadium down in Tampa Bay, Florida. So it's very exciting. So I think the game is going to be very close. It's going to be very good. And on one hand, and I think it's a net positive for football no matter who wins. Because I think if Brady wins, he becomes elevated. He's obviously the GOAT of professional football, in my opinion, in, in my opinion, team sports. But if he wins a seventh Super Bowl, he goes into the class of individuals that are arguably regarded as some of the greatest American athletes ever. Like, I'm talking the Jesse Owens class. I'm talking the Serena Williams class, the Simone Biles class, the Michael Phelps class. If you want to put LeBron or Michael Jordan or whoever your basketball goat is, put them up there too. But I think, I think Americans in general, and I personally am a fan of just greatness in general, I think the elevation of Tom Brady's greatness is a net positive, no matter if you like the guy or you hate the guy. And I think if Mahomes wins... I've said before, before that I think Patrick Mahomes is the Michael Jordan of our generation. He is the lightning rod. He is exciting. I think everyone could get behind him and say, that's our guy. Like, that is the guy that we want to carry forward into the future. So that is really exciting. So I'm super excited for the game tonight. The game kicks off in, actually, ironically, exactly six hours from now at 6.30, although it's probably going to be a, um, a very lengthy process it usually is for the Super Bowl although um you know her is performing tonight that's my girl and then you got the weekend doing the halftime show I'm super excited excited about that so it's going to be a fun night so I hope you guys have fun watching the Super Bowl if you're a football fan I hope you have fun in the way I mentioned earlier if you're just a casual fan you want to have a fun bunch of shit ton of unhealthy food do that as well it's a great night should be a national holiday in my opinion but anyway let's get on to the topic at hand so 
The last two weeks have been exciting, not just for a football reason, because the buildup to the Super Bowl has been very interesting because of the COVID pandemic. And, you know, there's a bunch of injuries on Tampa Bay's team, especially with the defense. People like um, Levante David and Devin White and Antoine Winfield kind of been in and out of the lineup who are all tremendous players. And so, but the last two weeks have kind of been exciting for a different reason. And I think this is an incredibly insightful thing to point to. So we're going to start off with this. So the revolution is officially being televised. The mail, the veil of modern society was officially lifted in the last two weeks and the true divisions in society were exposed. Everything else, at least for the moment, ceased to exist. It became irrelevant as it always should have been. If I ever needed an example to point out to everyone who I've been trying to explain to for years about what is really going on in American society, it finally floated down into my lap from the heavens. I just didn't expect it to come from the same company that sold millions of copies of Super Smash Bros. Odds are that, unless you live under a rock, you've heard the name of the company GameStop mentioned a couple times in the past week. You've probably heard from someone in the, about the frenetic activity that's been happening in the stock market, and words like short selling and Main Street have been dropped more often than the word respect in the Rodney Dangerfield bit. There's been a lot of things said, and consequently a lot of talking heads blowing a lot of hot air about it on mainstream news networks and social media timelines. But throughout all the bullshit and the noise, there remains a clear and powerful narrative that needs to be told. To explain, I'll start with the question, and this is particularly for the younger folks out there. So, if you were to, like, if, so, I just graduated from college, a lot of you guys that listen to me are in college, graduated from college, have been around a college-aged individual in the last, like, in your life in general. So, if you walked into a male college dorm room, what video game would you be expect them to be playing? If you were to walk in and they were to be playing any game in the last, let's just say, three years? Well, if you're hip to the subject, the definitive answer would be Fortnite, which is an open-world video game that attracts or sort of acts as a Hunger Games, King of the Mountain-style free-for-all, and the last man standing wins the game. There's things like, you know, you can you know chop people's heads off with pickaxes. I'm not a video game guy, but it was fun to watch people because it was actually you know, interesting and creative and, you know, it was, it was just, it was fun to watch. It got old after a while because, like I said, I'm not a video game guy. I don't really like them that much. But it was just kind of, it was cool to watch it and cool to watch the development. So Fortnite took off like a rocket ship when it was launched in 2017. It drew in 125 million online gamers in less than one year, raking in hundreds of million dollars of revenue. Gaming tournaments were launched off of it. Celebrities were forged, most notably Ninja, who was claimed to be many by be, to be the best esports player in the world. And more than a few young men got addicted to the game, which became an excellent recurring revenue stream for Epic Games, which is the manufacturer of Fortnite. And so, you know, people who were seeing the success, it's copycat world out there, they launched several games in similar fashion with the same business model, open source, completely online gaming that could be reached through standard consoles such as the PlayStation or Xbox. And those took off too. However, they all took off over one unilateral trend. So before games like Fortnite took off, you had to go to a store and buy a chip or a disc or something of the like in order to get software to play a certain game. So, you know, people with Game Boys, they plug in, you get Pokemon on your screen, you'd walk around with it, all the other shit. With, you know, like I said, with Super Smash Bros, uh, Mario Kart, all these other type of games. You had to buy a disc or a chip or something to plug into something else in order to project it onto the TV and then play it through the system. But now, with games being beamed directly into consoles, the need for those type of vehicles became unnecessary. Why go to a store and buy a separate game and you can just log on and play whenever and wherever you want? It just became, you know, more efficient that way. And it made all the sense in the world. Therefore, stores like GameStop began to decline in value simply because the value that they provided, supplying the game chips and discs, became replaced by a better business model. And with the rise of streaming video and other things like it, GameStop became like a dinosaur that was watching the meteor that it would eventually kill it and all of its other species, slowly but surely crater into the world. Think Blockbuster for another example of this. Which brings us back to the stock market. Most people think of the stock market as simply a marketplace where you buy and sell financial securities, and this is an accurate description. However, what most people don't realize is the breadth and depth of the financial system. You can make money in the stock market by doing literally anything, like literally fucking anything. There are investment funds that derive value from royalties in Beyonce and Rihanna songs. Eduardo Saverin, a co-founder of Facebook, made the initial investment that eventually created Facebook, which is now a company that's worth over $600 billion made tens of thousands of dollars to fund that investment before he could even drink by betting on weather patterns to predict the price of oil futures. And then he bet on those oil futures and made a ton of money, invested in Facebook, and the rest is history. And there's currently a cryptocurrency called Dogecoin, which is now based on the Doge meme, and I currently own over 900 Doge, that is currently trading at this time of the writing about six cents per share, six pence, six, 
six cents per doge. And I'm up 12% on the day. And shout out to Elon Musk who tweeted about it yesterday and spiked the price again. But if Dogecoin and weather patterns aren't your thing, there's another vehicle called short selling that might appeal to you. So this is a like fi like finance people, and I know because I'm a finance major, they have a habit of just talking out of their ass and sounding smarter than they are. So I'm going to try to dumb this down as much as possible. In a nutshell, when you short sell, you place a bet on a particular financial security to decline in value. So for example, if a stock is trading at $100 per share, shorting a stock would be to say that stock could go anywhere from $100 to $99.99 and below, and you would make money theoretically in the deal. Because this And this can be a good thing in the financial financial markets, such as people using it to hedge bets against another speculative claim, like you would go long, which is to say the stock would appreciate in value or something of the other things. I won't get into the specifics. However, it can also be used as a weapon against American capitalism. And no one uses it to bludgeon it more than hedge funds. And so a hedge fund, people get a lot of these things confused too. A hedge fund really isn't that complicated to understand. A hedge fund is no different than any other investment fund, save for a couple of reasons. So first, there are minimum investment requirements, which are not uncommon to go into the tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars, which is obviously very different from places like SoFi and uh, TD Ameritrade, Robinhood, any of the other places where you can just open up a, an account, put a dollar into an index fund, and you can start appreciating and making money right away. So these are, these are like for the big boy investors, like the big institutionalized investors. So that's the first reason. And second... The people that run them, driven by the large investments of people who invest in them, are forced by their own greed to make exorbitant returns for their investors. Because obviously, if you put $20 million into something, you want that investment to work out, or else you're going to be pretty pissed off that someone lost all their money. And so, a popular method for hedge funds is short selling. And so, some hedge funds, noticing this trend within gaming, decided to short the price of GameStop. And other dying companies, such as BlackBerry and Nokia, who have been replaced by Samsung and Apple in terms of phones, soon followed. And additionally, when the beer virus came along, they began to move into other sectors as well, with shorting the prices of stocks such as AMC Theaters, American Airlines, Hilton Hotels, obviously movie theaters, airlines, and hotel, the hospitality industry, are not doing well right now at all. So using their enormous amounts of capital and their seemingly unending greed, these funds began to hammer these companies. Because the goal of a short, in theory, is to force a company to go out of business. Because when a stock price goes to zero, you win. That's the only way your bet at a stock declining is 100% right. Because the stock, you know, no one, like the Matthew McConaughey quote in Wolf of Wall Street, where no one, I don't care if you're Warren Buffett, I don't care if you're Jimmy Buffett, stops, the stock's going to go up, down, fucking sideways, all this other stuff. No one knows, really, in theory. So the way that hedge funds make money, and the way a short can work to the best of its ability, is, you, is a company's stock to decline in, as much as possible. So the hedge funds, seeing this, piled billions of dollars into, of investor money into their positions. And the funds began to drive down the price of these companies purposely to punishingly low levels in order to make up for those returns for their investors. And whenever the companies begged for mercy or cried uncle, the fund managers simply poured a glass of overpriced Chardonnay and stepped on their throats harder to keep them from uttering any sound. These funds and their finance cronies that run them thought they had it all figured out. And it was only a matter of time before their companies took their, these, their last breaths and coughed up their last cents under the $1,000 shoes of their betters. But these people left one variable unaccounted for. Reddit. So, in the Reddit channel Wall Street Bets, a group of everyday traders decided to play a prank on the funds. Using their pooled funds and social media channels, they began to gobble up stocks of companies like GameStop and Bunches. In economics, whenever there's a demand for something, the value of that something goes up. Whenever there is a massive demand for something, the value of that something spikes. And this particular spike stabbed Wall Street hedge funds straight in the dick. Because Wall Street hedge funds lost billions of dollars because of the Reddit revolution. The stock price of GameStop went, over a th went up over 1,000%. Retail investors made a lot of money, and the market couldn't believe it. No one had before had ever seen anything like this. No one could take on and rein in the hedge funds, much less a group of small and non-institutionalized investors. But it happened, and the world was collectively shook. But it wasn't long until, much like the Galactic Empire, Wall Street struck back. Because little did many people, including myself, know how deep the corruption actually went. So Robinhood, the app that I mentioned before, which is the investment app that is beloved by construction workers, freshman finance students, all these other people, stopped the trading of stocks of companies such as GameStop on t January 28th. They cited, quote-unquote, protecting investors and man market manipulation as the reason. They released a newsletter on, quote-unquote, what you need to know about market volatility. But what Robinhood did not release a cute newsletter about was who it was owned by. 
And who is Robinhood owned by? And the answer is the hedge funds. Additionally, what Robinhood also didn't tell you is that they, much like every other social media platform in existence, sells their customer data on financial transactions to investment vehicles such as the hedge funds, reportedly for upwards of $700 million for outrageous sums of money, key the $700 million, so they can keep crushing companies like GameStop and the little guy that wants to make some money outside of his 401k. And it turns out the corruption seeks even deeper than just Silicon Valley tech, tech tycoon hippies. Andrew Ross Sorkin and Becky Quick of CNBC were appalled by the Reddit revolution. They were concerned with, quote-unquote, protecting investor money. Janet Yellen, this current Secretary of the Treasury and the woman who helped to enable the hedge funds in her role as head of the Federal Reserve under the Obama administration, had, quote-unquote, no comment when a reporter asked White House Press Secretary Jane Psaki about the issue. The hedge fund puppets danced their dance to perfection, being very careful not to let anything slip. But one, unfortunately for the fund managers, did. Bill Galvin, the current Secretary of State for the state of Massachusetts, was also interviewed on CNBC in a debate with entrepreneur and Shark Tank star Kevin O'Leary. Bill Galvin, the most radical of all the puppets, called for trading of GameStop to be halted for 30 days. When O'Leary, a staunch defender of the little guy and capitalism in general, fired back, Galvin let the mask slip. They don't, they don't really understand what they're doing, he said. These small and unsophisticated investors are probably going to get hurt by this, end quote. O'Leary, seeing the poorly concealed bigotry and condescension in Galvin's slip-up, pounced on him. For the next three minutes, Mr. Wonderful eviscerated Galvin in an incredibly hilarious and public fashion. CNBC eventually called a stop to the bloodshed so that Galvin could go cry off camera. So what does this have to do with anything? Well, in my opinion, it has to do with everything. So for example, let me name off a list of people for you. Elizabeth Warren, Ben Shapiro, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ted Cruz, Rashida Tlaib, Rush Limbaugh, Mark Cuban, Donald Trump Jr., and Jake Tapper. Now, do you think any of these people simultaneously agree on anything? The common sense would be to say yes. They have wide-ranging views on political positions, and a lot of them just outright hate each other. But you'd be wrong if you said that they didn't, because they all agreed that this was absolutely corrupt, heinous, and illegal activity, and that people needed to be punished for it, most notably their hedge funds, and their enablers like Galvin, Sorkin, Quick, and Yellen. It's hard to believe, but the 2021 GameStop short squeeze, and I should note here that GameStop has declined precipitously in value since this has happened about a week ago, is probably the most unified our country has been on a single issue in years. Every single one of these people is absolutely right in their assertion that this is a very dangerous and wrong thing that has taken place, even though some of them play for the same team as these people that have been committed to that very dangerous and wrong thing. I won't get into names, but anyways. However, that is irrelevant, at least in the context of this discussion. Why it matters, why the, rev the Reddit revolution matters, and why certain people's re reactions to the Reddit revolution matters is because it shines a light on the one thing in America that has gotten swept under the rug that is perhaps the single biggest root cause of every issue in America today, and that issue is class. So about nine months ago, I published a piece entitled The New Counterculture, Why the City on the Hill is a Ruse on my blog, don'treadthisblog.com, check it out, it should be under the month of April which talks about the same idea. There are a lot of surface-level problems in America that get talked about. 2020 had almost all of them be yeah, talked about at least once. But these are, at the core, not real. What these issues really are are different manifestations of the class issue that has been, pop that has been propagated by someone else looking into looking like something different. When I say class, I don't mean socioeconomic class, at least directly. The way I see it, there are two classes in this country, those who possess entrenched power and those who don't. This is not specific to art, business, politics, anything. It's a unified group of people that has deliberately colluded together in order to hold on to the power that their group possesses. Now, this may sound conspiratorial, far-fetched, but I truly don't think it is. With all the things that have happened in the last five years, and particularly in the last year, something has happened. We can no longer look away from the man behind the curtain. We are being forced to see that he's really there, yanking on all the levers and pulleys to desperately keep up his facade. But thankfully, because of the various actors across all spectrums of American life, certain heroes and patriots have begun to expose these bad actors. They've lifted the curtain ever so slightly and given us to peek at the horrors that go beyond it when, behind it where we can't see. These little glimpses have been enough for people to have enough of the people in entrenched power and demand new ones. The ruling class, in their opinion, has held on to power for too long. It's time for a change. The biggest battle in our society is not left and right. The biggest battle in our society is up and down, 
It's not an ethnicity issue or a gender issue or a sexual orientation issue or any sort of issue pertaining to the modern games of identity politics in which we play. Those issues are certainly prevalent, and there are real issues that must be solved to help people in certain ethnicities, genders, and sexual orientations, all this other stuff. But at their core, I would argue that they go all go down to the same problem. Because our ruling class does not want to deal with this problem, as it's a threat to their power, they throw the other issues in the front so they can hold on to it, act like a savior, do some meaningless shit that will end up netting zero change, and go about their business. But they've forgotten to account for one variable that will, and is leading up to, their undoing. Compound interest. You see, people are smart, even if a lot of the people in our ruling class don't think so. When you keep attempting to pull the wool over their eyes, when you keep treating them like they're stupid, and when you keep blatantly lying to them, people generally are going to take offense. There's going to come to a point where they say enough is enough, and that time is coming soon. People are sick of getting treated like dog shit, as they should be. And if you haven't noticed, things around the subject have gotten worse and worse. People weren't throwing bricks through a mom-and-pop pizza place and chasing after Nancy Pelosi in a Viking hat five years ago. In fact, they weren't even doing that a year ago. A very dangerous brew is being mixed, and there is nothing that I can see to quell the storm. I don't think there's much we can do what we can prevent to be what I believe to be the inevitable. A full-scale insurrection in some ways or forms of the current state of our country. But before I get too doom and gloom for my own good, I believe there is one thing we can all do to stop this. We can understand how we got here. We can attempt to see how our ruling class manipulates us and the steps that they take to make us fall down their slippery slope. Only then can we see how the manipulation occurs, where it comes from, and how some of these aforementioned patriots, many of whom will be named in this post, the Reddit traders and the, the, their supporters being the first, are fighting against them. It's an uphill battle, but for our own sanity and sovereignty, we must attempt to take the hill. And let us all start with a familiar foe. So, I used to think Mark Benioff was just a nar narcissistic member of the big techocracy, but now my opinion's changed. Now I think he's truly dangerous. So, at the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, the world's business elite travels to congregate together to discuss the past, present, and future of the business climate of the world. However, naturally, this was rendered virtual due to the beer virus pandemic. Beaming in from a Zoom live stream, Mark Benioff argued that one of the most argued one of the most bizarre statements I've ever heard anyone make in my entire life. CEOs are definitely the heroes of 2020, unquote. Read that statement again, or listen to that statement again if you're not reading the blog. So, and ask yourself, how does that make you feel? Perplexed, disturbed, angry, a combination of all three, more things? Well, whatever that emotion makes you feel, it should be the opposite of good in most cases. Like usual, I'll try to take Beanie off at face value here and meet him where he is. CEOs like Benioff have done a lot of good things in 2020. They've helped accommodate employees in the biggest work societal experiment that we've ever seen. They've extended benefits. They've tried their best to keep their companies whole while everything else has been trying to tear them apart. But to declare them the heroes of 2020? That isn't just absurd, it's offensive. The heroes of 2020 all around the world are the men and women of the healthcare profession. That should be the obvious rallying cry around those who deserve the title of the word hero. And, even if you didn't say them, there could have been several other examples that would have been deemed more acceptable. First responders, such as firefighters in the National Guard and policemen. People are trying their best to create constructive change in communities and preserving their movement to end police brutality. People who have tried to quell the division in America, no matter what the source of division that they're fighting against. CEOs are commendable, sure, but they're not the heroes of the moment. To give them that title is to spurn the true heroism of the moment that we haven't seen in generations. This is the first time since World War II that the entire world has been affected by the same thing equally. That's 76 years since one of the worst things since it's 76 years since one of the wor things like that has happened. And while one can argue that World War II is worse, and I would certainly be one of them, there has to be a phenomenal supply of virtue to keep the virus at bay. Those people are the healthcare workers of around the globe, and the people that put them in a position to succeed. It shouldn't be that hard to compute, really. Two plus two equals four. But that answer isn't acceptable to people like Mark Benioff and the other CEOs in our ruling class that think like he does. No. To Mark Benioff, it's very important that people like him take the spotlight. It's very important that people like him can sway the minds of the masses into thinking that they have all the power in the world to change whatever they feel that needs to be changed. There still needs to be a hero. It just has to be one of them. This is narcissism at its finest. It's one of the greatest vices of all, specifically because it does one thing that we shouldn't be very careful not to do. It elevates the wrong people. And Time Magazine knows this all too well. Even though the magazine, and the magazine industry in general, is dying a slow and painful death, 
there is still a significant amount of clout that comes with being its person of the year. So Time Magazine's person of the year has been given to the person who, according to the magazine, for better or for worse, has done the most to influence the events of the year, end quote. Past winners have included Jeff Bezos, the Me Too advocates, the protesters in the Middle East during the Arab Spring, and Presidents Bush, Obama, and Trump. And this year, the winners were twofold in the form of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, the current president and vice president of the United States. Now, in a normal year, most wouldn't have batted an eye against this. But again, context. The other nominees were the first responders in healthcare, the Black Lives Matter protesters, and President Trump. If it were me, and I think I speak for most people, the first responders would have been the obvious answer. Think about the quote from the magazine that defines the, that defines the award. It is nearly unfathomable to comprehend how much these people have influenced this past year. One person, no matter who it is, could not have done the compounded and cumulative effect as these folks. But, unfortunately, narcissism went out again. And this just isn't just me hating on Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. I really don't care. But I don't think either of the two of them or Donald Trump should either have been anywhere near the award. And I don't think I'm far off in saying that. No matter what you think of the protesters, they should have been much higher than those individuals as well when you look at it objectively. Because, I mean, look at 2011. In 2011, Time Magazine ordered, awarded the honor to several groups of protesters, among them being the aforementioned Arab Spring protesters and the conflicting parties of Occupy Wall Street and the Tea Party. But that doesn't matter anymore, because they weren't even close to the nomination. If you're like me, and like to see people recognized for true, quote-unquote, heroism, this probably rubbed you the wrong way. You probably thought that it didn't make a lot of sense, because it doesn't. But there's something I tell people all the time, a disheartening thing, but one that lets people need to be, con but one that people need to be constantly be reminded of and hear until it sinks in. Follow the money. Money, no matter what you think of it, controls everything. In any sector, you look that is important in any fashion, from charities to politics. Money is might not even be just a factor; it might be the factor. It makes the world go round. The most important thing about money in this context is seeing who owns the most money. The person who owns the most money, if that person is a smart individual, will see to put it good will see to put it to good use. So it should shock no one when I tell you that the owner of Time magazine is none other than Mark Benioff. But that's not all. In addition to his comments earlier at DeVos, Benioff spoke on a topic that has been wary of for a long time that I've been wary of for a long time: share versus stakeholder capitalism. Being the CEO of Salesforce, one of the most renowned companies in the entire world, Benioff wields a tremendous amount of influence and power in business's most important sector, technology. So, in a time where power is flooding to all these people in droves, and conversely where most, more people feel more powerless than ever, how would someone in this position choose to respond? And here is how Benioff chose to. We have to be more stakeholder-based than ever. End quote. So, not only does Benioff have to elevate himself to be the hero, but he also has to elevate himself to be the savior not only is Mark Benioff the hero of the story, but he's the only one that can bring the rest of us out of the mire. All you have to do is obey him. Believe what he says. Drink the Kool-Aid. Sit in a room like the burning dog meme and just say that everything is fine. But here is what Mark, people like Mark Benioff don't realize. It's not about you, you narcissistic asshole. It's not. It's not about Mark Benioff or Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or George Bush or Michelle Obama or Greta Thunberg or Donald Trump. It's not. It's about everyone else. It's about the millions of other people that are so isolated from the people who are too thick-headed to see what's going on below them that they don't even attempt to see where they're stepping and shitting. But these people don't understand that, or at least they do a really good job of acting like they don't. And people are starting to notice. With the rise of social media, these people have more eyes on them than ever before. Some of it is unfair and unjust, but many of it is just things that have been sh not been shed light upon for the first time in forever, and people don't like what they see. I've thought a lot about the acts of civil unrest that have taken place in the past year, such as the violent riots that have erupted at, pro at protests and the Capitol building disaster. What could make these people do things like throw a brick through the window of a local business and storm, the government building in storm a government building in rage? What act of despicable behavior could have inspired this? And it's a specifically what step one of starting class warfare is. You elevate the wrong heroes. People can point to one thing or another, such as George Floyd's murder or the quote-unquote rigging of an election. But the real answer is not that simple. Those two events were simply what pushed something larger over the edge of hell. The real and much more complicated answer is this, this was always coming. We just didn't know when the bubble would burst. One-armed black man killed by a cop in the street can't topple entire cities like Minneapolis and Portland. 
but several decades of one ethnicity thinking that the world about telling the world about their problems and thinking that no one was listening being topped with a George Floyd-esque incident sure can. One disparaging comment to slightly under half of America isn't enough to raise hell in a beloved building. But nearly five years of disparaging and offhand comments to that group of people that is topped with election insanity sure can. In the past year, particularly in the past five or so, our society was like a strip of magnesium on Survivor, slowly being shaved off bit by bit. As soon as a George Floyd or election fraud type incident pops up, there's a really big fucking pile of magnesium sitting on the ground. And all it takes is one spark to form a massive fire, and to form it quickly. Only a fool would think that it wouldn't be doing so. But, to put it in terms of Tucker Carlson, our ruling class is nothing more than a ship of fools. People like Mark Benioff are the reason that so many people feel hopeless. It's because they want them to be. Mark Benioff has said openly that he intends to lead a fifth industrial revolution where companies like his quote-unquote change the world with their awesome and monopolistic influence and power. You can buy the book where he spearheads it on Amazon for $17.99. The reason that Mark Benioff has become dangerous is not because he has a lot of power. The reason that Mark Benioff and people like him have become dangerous is that because they simultaneously disempower the people they wish to brainwash and control. Why else would someone claim to be so superior while at the same time saying that all those with the superiority need to take care of everyone else? To people like Mark Benioff, people don't have the individual capacity to take care of themselves. Everyone is a victim, while our ruling class becomes a collective god. Only they can save you. All you have to do is shut up and obey. We must be very careful of concentrated power, no matter what form it comes in. Concentrated power, when left either unchecked or on a slippery Mark Benioff-esque slope, is the most dangerous threat to any democracy and sovereign people. When people or groups have too much of it, it could be too late already. The 20th century taught us that one lesson in the forms of hundreds of millions of dead bodies. Additionally, these conflicts all start internally as well. They are a form of common enemy identity politics within the walls of civilized society. It's an incredibly dangerous and saddening thing to witness, and we're living right in the center of it. It's quite disheartening to see that our society tear itself apart from the inside. And that tear stems from the division of our societal classes that not one of our overlords, like Mark Benioff, wants us to realize. But it's also not enough to just elevate the wrong heroes. A hero cannot exist without someone to oppose him. Like the Joker told Batman at the end of The Dark Knight, it's the classic case of the incorruptible versus the corrupted, yin and yang, forever entwined. In order for our false heroes to grab the sunlight, they need a villain in order to drag into the filth. And that's why step two of how to start class warfare in three easy steps is to make the right people villains. So Dave Portnoy is probably on the low end of the list who you would think would be repeated contributors on Fox News. However, Portnoy has found a home there, with one commentator in particular, the one and only aforementioned Tucker Carlson. So it turns out Carlson and Portnoy are friends. They go out for pizza together, as seen in one of Portnoy's trademark pizza reviews, Nino's 46, look it up, it's actually quite funny. I thought very often as to why they click so much. No one in their right sense, including myself, would ever think that two people who are so different from one another would be friends. They're in two, two completely different industries. One's an employee, the other's an employer. One talks about politics, the other about culture and sports. They grew up on the polar opposites of the country, Carlson in Southern California and Portnoy in Massachusetts. Carlson is about a decade or, older than Portnoy, Portnoy is. Not much about them as alike, and yet they're friends. And so this might shed some light on the subject. A couple months back, Portnoy started the Barstool Fund, a charitable giving fund to raise money to help small businesses during the, coat and during the beer virus pandemic specifically bars and restaurants. Even more specifically, the bars and restaurants that have been affected like modern-day tyrants such as Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio. These people have been absolutely hammered by these control freaks in numerous ways. Nearly 90% of New York bars and restaurants couldn't pay their rent last August. 60% of overall businesses in New York have shut down, with one in six restaurants in the entire country have been estimated to have closed permanently. One man in New York, in Staten Island specifically, declared his bar an autonomous zone, not unlike those who took over six blocks of Seattle in the wake of the Black Lives Matter protests last summer. These people also protested, but were quickly shamed and shut down by these same tyrants. In the words of the aforementioned Bill de Blasio, you can only protest if it's for Black Lives Matter. Damn your church, mosque, mosque synagogue, or temple. Fuck your third-generation pizza shop. The rest of you non-woke peasants have to stay home, shut up, and obey everything we say. So Portnoy, being one of the many to see the obvious and completely bizarre hypocrisy of this, started the fund in order to combat these oppressive regulations. 
it soon became a phenomenon all over the country and went viral. He has, it has since raised over $34 million and is, thankfully, continuing to, continuing to balloon every day from the constant flow of donations from incredibly generous Americans. But then GameStop happened, and the two friends couldn't resist the opportunity to take another shot at the ruling class. In an absolutely blistering 20 minutes, Carlson and Portnoy led a crusade that completely took apart the GameStop trading fiasco, Robin Hood, and their hedge fund overlords. Portnoy called publicly for people to go to prison. It's a very likely outcome due to the obvious market manipulation. He also stated that the CEO of Robin Hood, Vlad Tenev, took a dive, similar to what Butch Coolidge was paid to do in Pulp Fiction, that he knew would sink his company in order to save face for the same hedge funds that helped tank it, and it was absolutely masterful to watch. What Wall Street really hates is outsider trading, Carlson said. I agree, but I would go a step further. Not only do these people on Wall Street not like it, but I would say that no one in our ruling class likes it. So remember our friends Richard Burr, Kelly Leffler, and David Perdue? the people that, you know, had the insider trading scandal with the coronavirus and the senators and all the other stuff, they've all but faded into obscurity. Everyone's forgotten about them. They all got richer off their insights in the COVID-19 pandemic and off of their political privilege. Leffler and Purdue got off scot-free. They lost their runoff elections in Georgia, but their wallets got fatter. Burr is still waiting for the verdict, but I'm guessing that that will fade into relative obscurity as well. The hedge fund managers Burr, Leffler, and Purdue got slapped on the wrist, some even profiting from their sins. The little guy, the American small business and the retail investor, were not so fortunate or privileged. They got so much taken away from them. Their basic liberties, the rights to buy financial securities, etc. And it's never talked about. And this is, again, bizarre. And the reason that this is bizarre is that these are the people that should be villainized, not the other people involved. Retail investors on Reddit who decide to buy a shit ton of GameStop should not be penalized by wanting to try to make some money but they were. Hedge funds and the companies that bow to them should be punished for manipulating financial markets and cutting out people from trying to make money, but they weren't. I should be very careful here and insert one important thing. Forgiveness is very important, particularly in scenarios where people make a one-off mistake or bad decision that hurts people. We should treat people with the same decency that we want to be treated with because it's the right thing to do. However, what needs to happen after this type of behavior happens is accountability. We should hold people accountable to the right things with as much energy and focus that we forgive them with. The problem with the people of our ruling class is that, for a majority of them, they've had numerous chances, some more than I can count, and yet they still have their power. This is not the way things should work. The way America was formed was off a basic sense of meritocracy, that the cream will eventually rise to the top. People are now figuring out through the repeated exposures to the people that are part of this class, they are not treated this way. Quite the opposite, unfortunately for everyone else involved. As I've said before, privilege is not a matter of ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, or any other bullshit ideological affinity or identity group that people tell you matters. It does matter, but not as much as the individual that may or may not embody those qualities. The individual should always come first because, much like Transformers, there is always more than meets the eye. You cannot tell an individual how to act based on the general perception of the collective. It's an incredibly condescending and disrespectful to go away about treating any single person. What privilege really is, is having power and then knowingly abusing that power to get what you want at the expense of others. In the words of Kendrick Lamar, you imbue your influence over people. You take what is not yours from people who are, most likely, all but innocent to the matter. This is a very bad thing. A very, very bad thing. We should try to snuff out the truly privileged behavior whenever we see it and attempt to correct it, while simultaneously pushing back against the false notion of privileges that get propagated all too often within our society. You're not better than anybody. And it's always wise to remind yourself to that fact. But our ruling class simply doesn't get it. They don't understand. Or conversely, they completely understand. And that are just that greedy anyways. It depends on how cynical you want to be. There's a reason why they didn't want Bernie Sanders or Tulsi Gabbard or Donald Trump or Andrew Yang to become president. There's a reason why they hate people like Elon Musk and Kanye West. There's a reason why groups, why groups like the New York Times label the intellectual dark web as an alt-right think tank when nearly all their members are liberals. It's not just outsider training that's the problem, it's outsider anything that's the problem. A controversial and contrarian opinion from medical professionals on masks or vaccines? Buried under the YouTube basement. Only Anthony Fauci can rule over that information. Criticize the motives of Black Lives Matter organization, not just the movement? Deplatformed. You're not woke enough. Try to suggest that capitalism isn't working for anybody? Shamed. You're not allowed to support the free market anymore. This is the ultimate manifestation of the popular kids versus the non-popular kids. The in-crowd versus the non-in-crowd. 
the haves and the have-nots, the bourgeoisie and the commoners. This isn't simply classism, it's casteism. It's a blatant and clear alienation of one group of people from the other of the mindless compulsion for power and the shit, other shit that doesn't matter. The wrong people are being made heroes, while the right people are being ma made villains. This obviously is not a black and white matter, there are some anomalies. But the facts, in this case, are not cared about as much by people. So have you ever heard the saying that people will forget, will forget what you said, but people will never forget how you make them feel? It's as true of a statement as I've ever heard. Unfortunately for us, it has the potential to backfire in an incredibly horrific way. Because for all of those underlings, and the people that feel this way, they feel one underlying emotion. Anger. So I was talking to my grandma a few months ago, and she said that she's never seen more hate in the world than she has now. My, and mind you, this is a nearly 80-year-old woman talking. It's a very big statement coming from someone who lived in a time where people were getting sent to Vietnam, particularly young people, and they didn't want to fight in Vietnam anyways, and black people couldn't drink out of the same water fountains as white people could. But even though I think we've progressed further than the 60s, I'm beginning to think that I agree with her. The reason for this, primarily, is that the problems we have in society are much more complex. It's easy to say that a war in some faraway land is a shitty idea and there's no need to send our young people there to die, although there's stuff going on with the stuff that's going on in the Middle East still. It's easy to say that black people shouldn't have to be degraded like that and to have them be equal in treatment across all spectrums of society. But how do we solve the after effects of a pandemic? How do we calm incredibly complicated and dense political polarization? How do we combat technology companies that are peddling addictive material to people when we can't even comprehend the technology itself? How do we prevent going insane amongst all the madness? I don't know if I have the answer to any of these questions. I don't think anyone does, if we're speaking in completely honest fashion. The hopelessness felt in the prior section combined with this can lead people to some very dark and desperate places. It can lead to frustration, which lead to a loss of control, which leads to anger at the situation itself. And that anger is combustible. It can implode at any minute if left untempered. Because whether the ruling class knows it or not, there are repercussions for certain behaviors that a good variety of people that deem them un un unacceptable. There must be a price to pay. When people are not listened to, or when people are listened to, rather, they will be more tolerant towards them. When they are not listened to, and are constantly dogpiled upon by shit that doesn't matter, their tolerance goes by the wayside. They start demanding heads on pikes and pounds of flesh as compensation instead of an apology and a strongly worded Facebook post. It all starts not to mean a damn thing anymore. We saw sparks of this in 2020, and we've some, seen some in 2021. But when not stopped, sparks usually lead to fire when shed upon flammable material. And if you didn't notice from the events of the past year, a lot of shit can catch on fire. What matters now is not if it happens, but how devastating the aftermath turns out to be. Step 3. Watch the world burn. The title of smartest person in the world is arbitrary. It's much like the MVP award in major sports, which I think is ridiculous in a lot of cases. It's like the Jelly of the Month Club from Christmas Vacation. It's just the gift that keeps on giving. I used to think it was Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg, and those would be two very legitimate answers. But I do think that there's one man that should be listened to in the conversation more often. Eric Weinstein, the managing director at Thiel Capital, is the smartest person, I, person I've ever heard speak in my life. A mathematician and physicist by trade, he has been thrust into numerous conversations dealing with the greater culture and society in recent years for a couple of primary reasons. One being the whole really fucking smart thing, and two, he's not afraid to get his hands dirty. Weinstein is perhaps the biggest intellectual renegade in the world today. He's the one that founded the Intellectual Dark Web, the group that comprises most of society's intellectual renegades. And he also happens to be the most surprising good friend of Joe Rogan. They hang out, they hang out a lot, surprisingly enough, like much surprisingly as Portnoy and Tucker Carlson. Rogan, when it was open and before he moved to Austin, Texas, took him to the famed comedy store in Los Angeles to meet up with his comedy friends. Our friend Andrew Schultz, apparently and hysterically, had a ball with Weinstein while drunk off his ass watching people crack jokes. He's the last person you would expect to trudge through there, and probably the last person who you would expect to trudge through there with Joe Rogan. But on April 3rd, 2020, the mood was not comedic at all. Because in episode number 1453 of the Joe Rogan Experience, Weinstein rolled through the show to talk with Rogan about a wide variety of topics, all centered primarily around the reality that the coronavirus was a lot more serious than anyone could have ever anticipated. When they got on the subject of masks, Weinstein's full intellectual renegade mode switched on. He went down a long list of people, such as the CDC, Surgeon General, and WHO, all who had propagated information about the validity of masks to people around the world to stop the spread of the virus. If you can remember, 
Early on in the pandemic, all three of those entities had stated that masks were ineffective in preventing the spread of the virus. And this was untrue. The reason that those three entities did it was that these people could stop buying them and hoarding them so that they could be distributed to the people that really needed them, most specifically the healthcare workers that were on the front lines. It was quote-unquote deadly nonsense, according to Weinstein. And it was. Weinstein then used this as a, seat, as a segue to go in his theory of what he calls the Big Nap. The Big Nap, according to Weinstein, is the period from 1945 up until 2020 where, driven by a decadent society, we slipped into complacency as a country. We didn't build or innovate on new things. We just expanded on the old. We didn't progress as much as we needed to. Our leadership eroded and became largely non-existent non-evolutionary. Translation, the ruling class was created. The reason that, that, that the time period is so important is because 1945 was the last time the world collectively faced a universal crisis that could not, they could not turn a blind eye to, World War II. As I said earlier, the beer virus is not as bad as World War II, and thank God for that. But it is a similar type of eye-opener. It showed us what we were really made of, and what leaders would shine. It was the largest social experiment in modern day, perhaps even world, history in the effectiveness under leader, of leadership under sudden stress. And, proving Weinstein correct, there were very few leaders that passed this test. All three of those entities previously mentioned, along with much of our leadership class, failed to handle it. If anything proves Benioff's points wrong, or Benioff's point wrong, it would be Weinstein's idea of the big nap. Although it wouldn't pr just prove Benioff's point wrong, it would prove the entire ruling class's collective point wrong. And I don't think that's far off, an that's far off of an assumption. Weinstein's theory of the big nap is the potentially the most cataclysmic revelation about our society in recent years. The primary reason for this claim is this. What do you do when you discover that an entire class of leadership, comprising all industries and identities, is largely incompetent? What do you do when you realize all of the quote-unquote experts and all the other people that have lied and pretended about knowing what they're doing are frauds? There's plenty of ammunition for this argument, too. Woke celebrities singing Imagine by John Lennon over an internet video about perseverance in crisis when they're the furthest from crisis out of arguably anyone in the country. The aforementioned Andrew Cuomo writing a book out of sheer greed and self-righteousness about his own leadership during the COVID pandemic when he demonstrated about anything but leadership during the COVID pandemic. Gavin Newsom telling people to put a mask on between bites of food at the dinner table when he rent while he rents out a private restaurant where none of his numerous guests are wearing masks. People like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and other politicians who are nowhere near the age of needing to get vaccinated, but get vaccinated anyway, and brag about it on social media. So what do you do? Well, according to Weinstein, the answer is inevitable. We have to remember that we have the power to overthrow our own government, end quote. Rogan was startled by this, but Weinstein kept pressing. Civil disobedience was dropped. Revolt was thrown out a few times. It was a very damning and frightening thing to witness. But, per my smartest person in the world claim, Weinstein would pro soon pro be proven to be absolutely correct. Less than two months later, George Floyd happened. Protests of all kinds raged on for months. Cities were burned to a crisp. Businesses were destroyed. Police departments were defunded. Buildings and monuments were defaced. Crime went up. Just as little over seven months after that, the Capitol building happened. While the, while the Black Lives Matter protests and riots were not directly political, and instead more social, depending on who you ask, this was a direct attempt at political insurrection and domestic terrorism. A deadly attempt at political insurrection, similar to a lot of the rioting that has happened in the wake of the George Floyd murder. Acts of domestic terrorism soon became commonplace. It should not matter if you support the causes or not, because when you flip the card up, you have to call a spade a spade. Anything else would be lying. But there's a lot of lying going on, unfortunately. People don't want to be honest about what's really going on. And what is honestly going on is that people are angry and that people are trying to capitalize on that anger. The reason that the Declaration of Independence and the United States Constitution are so important is because it gives Weinstein's theory validity. I support what both of those documents say almost to a T, with the exception of the amendments and anything blatantly abhorrent, and there's hardly any of it. I've actually read the damn thing. And the Second Amendment is perhaps the biggest proof of this. The Second Amendment, otherwise known as the right to bear arms, is perhaps the most understood part of these two documents. The reason that it, the Second Amendment is important is because it gives us the right to choose our governance. The Second Amendment was not meant to protect school shooters or hunters drinking beer and firing off shotguns in the rounds out of the back of a 1999 Ford F-250. The importance of the Second Amendment can perhaps be best described by Sir William Blackstone, who was an 18th century English jurist who commented on the law as soon as it was ratified. In Blackstone's words, the right is described as a, quote, auxiliary right, 
supporting the natural right of self-defense and resistance to oppression, and the civic duty to act in concert in defense of the state, unquote. So what does that mean? And what it means is the reason that the Second Amendment is so crucial is that it gives us exactly what Eric Weinstein said we should all consider, the right to overthrow the powers that be. Now, I want to make things very, very clear. I am not calling for violent insurrection. That is not the point. The point is that people know this and that are acting and that they are acting upon it. Symbolically, they're the kid that was afraid to get on the roller coaster, got on it anyway, and is now screaming and wailing that he wants to get off the ride. They've experienced it and they don't want it anymore. They want something new, something better. This is the reason that capitalism gets such a bad rap nowadays, even though it's largely a net positive in terms of wealth creation. This is the reason why people don't think the Electoral College should be a thing anymore. This is the reason why 70% of the people that voted for Trump feel like the election was rigged for President Biden, even though there's overwhelmingly evidence of, to the contrary. People want to tear down systems for one simple reason. They don't believe that the systems work. And when people don't believe that the systems work, they look at those who founded the system, the business leaders, founding, our founding fathers, politicians, etc., and they want to take their frustrations and anger out on them. Anyone who supports them, they're fair game too. Anyone who props them up, even worse. And the people that prop them up are ruling class, at least in theory. They're the ones inhabiting the institutions which, according to the people that are angry, are rigged against everyone else. There's a reason why people went after businesses in the Capitol building. It's where the people that are inhabiting those rigged institutions reside. And for everyone else to have a chance, they must be destroyed. And in these people's opinions, why shouldn't they? They've done nothing for us. In this past year, the biggest social experiment and leadership stress test of three generations has proven this hypothesis correct. The nothingness has continued. The ineptitude has persisted. They all think that we could do better as a country, and a lot of people agree. Plus the whole them being condescending assholes thing. We're not quote-unquote sophisticated, remember? We're not heroes. We can't help anyone. We can't even help ourselves. But maybe, just maybe, we could end up fixing the systems for good. We could create new ones. We could manifest all our devastating thoughts of idealism and postmodernist intentions and put them to good use. Then, all the suffering would come to an end. At least in theory. The big nap is coming to an end. The day of reckoning is arriving. It's only a matter of how big the devastation is once the turnover happens. With luck, it could be easy. We would do this by voting and by holding people accountable, such as the people of Wall Street Bets did to our hedge fund class. Or we could go the route that we went through the past year, the one of spite and vengeance. The choice, as always, is ours. We have a compromised institutional leadership class in this country, and, the people are, and there are people that are willing to take their place. However, we cannot attempt to get better leadership if they continue to blaze this inevitable trail to class warfare. It might seem distant, but I don't think we're that far off, unfortunately. But things can get better. They can always get better. If we lose the hope that they can, like the people that have already, then they cannot. But we have to always remember that there is, indeed, a method to the madness. There are ways that we can bring everyone else up. There are ways in which we can treat people with dignity and respect and without demonizing anyone else. It's up to us to take the higher ground and show people the way. But, on the way, we must always remember that some people who pursue the same thing, or the thing opposing us, aren't after what is truly best for the world because some people just want to watch the world burn. Okay, so then on that positive note, have a great day, everyone. I hope you all enjoy the Super Bowl. Spend time with friends. Spend time with family. Have a great day, and I will see you next week. Open your mind. Own the day. Thank you guys for listening. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit, and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?